Certainly, as we come to this time of worship today, I encourage each of you to remember our pastor and his family as they are away on, on vacation and enjoying some time away. Uh, as he left, I told him, I began wondering, I said, are you sure this is a vacation? Because two of his great stops of interest in the state of Texas were going to be Ozona and Odessa. Both of those are kind of those places where you wonder how in the world they got there in the first place and why would you ever want to go there? Uh, but anyway, uh, certainly they're, they're away from there now and spending some, some time elsewhere, but uh, do remember them again this week as they will be gone. It's a privilege always to come and stand before you and deliver what I believe God's message is for us today. Passage of Scripture before us today to me is a, is a challenging passage of scripture. It's one that we in the church have heard most of our lives. Most of you, even though the, the title of that, whenever Linda read the passage of scripture a moment ago, understand what it's called in the scripture. But today, for a title of message, what shall I do? Love God, love neighbor. Seems to me that's the central aspects of what this passage of Scripture has. Eight small words. Eight small words that had an impact on those that heard them there that day. Eight small words that I believe um, have great impact on who we are as God's called as Christians it impacts how we live our life out of that call to be Christian. It should impact the church today. It should impact the world today. What shall I do? Love God. Love neighbor. A few short passages or verses there that uh, is found in this passage. Um, Jesus teaches a lot. Not only to those listeners there that day, but to us in the church. What shall I do? Love God. Love neighbor. As we consider these words today, I want you to do something that I think will help us enhance a little bit of bringing this forward a little bit. You know, we know that Jesus is certainly central to the passage, but there's a few other other uh, people in this passage of Scripture that I think um, will help us if we can identify some contemporary um, people that we would consider to fall into those positions. First, a lawyer. Not a David Hopper or a Phil Redwine, a legal civil lawyer, but a church lawyer. That's what he was, one that was schooled in the law, one that tried to keep the priest and all of the Jews there together to understand and to hold on to the historical aspects of the Jewish people. So consider who that would be today. Those that, would, that were there to, to know the, front, the law of the, the church frontwards and backwards was charged in its proclamation and protection and assure that the people live by the law. Second, a, per, a person or a class of people that you would consider to be vulnerable. Vulnerable to be taken advantage of. Vulnerable to be out and to be beaten 
to be robbed, to be left for dead. Next, who in all of Christendom, or a group of people, that you would choose to set a standard of what this life in Christ means? Those expected to do the right thing. Those that teach us to do the right thing. And next, who in all of Christendom, again, that you would consider to be just a little bit under that first group? Still viable for their teaching, still responsible to the church and to the world outside of the church. And lastly, who would you consider to be an individual? or a group of people that would would be a despicable character, a group that's an outsider, someone that's divided by race, by characteristics, by an ethnic barrier that challenges all of who you are. You consider those things, those people. Let's pray. Father God, I do just pray that you would allow these few moments to truly be words from you. Father, a passage of scripture that we have learned from our childhood that has impacted the world around us, that has impacted us in a variety of ways. Father, today that you would use this passage of Scripture to challenge us, even as it challenged that lawyer that day and those that heard the story. Father, help us to gain new insights. Help us to receive its challenges. Help us to be moved to do something different. Father, help us to understand what shall I do. And what it means to love you and to love our neighbor. Father, pray that you would open our ears and allow us to hear from you today. Father, that you would open our mind and help us to understand what you are about in this time. And Father, that you would open our hearts. Father, especially today, that you would touch our hearts that you would allow them to be molded, that you would allow them to be changed. And Father, today, certainly, if our hearts and our attitudes need to be broken, that you would be about that in this place. Father, we commit this time to you. Let it be yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's an interesting place this passage is in the in the book of Luke, and you know the the question that the attorney that the lawyer presents to Jesus, and the response there is is located also in Matthew and and um, in Mark, but it's here that the only place that that what we know is the story of the Good Samaritan is gone ahead and and proclaimed. But it follows in the book of Luke that challenging passage earlier in in chapter ten where where Jesus is sending that 72 group of 
disciples out to go and to meet the people and to go and to present uh, a, a precursor of Jesus' attention there as he would visit these lo- local places. It's that time where he said, you as believers are going out as lambs into a den of wolves. Expect to be protected. Expect to know that you're going to be challenged in all that you do. But go in my grace, go in my peace, go in my protection. Even to the point of saying, there's going to be some places that you're rejected and you're to stump the dust off your feet. When you are. And then the scripture says, and then a lawyer comes up and and in some translations says that he tests him, but I wonder even if this lawyer is trying to, trying to, to really understand what, what it means and trying to get some interpretation and some translation from Jesus. Really don't know whether it's truly a test of Jesus to understand or whether it's truly a question that he had deep in his heart about eternal life. You know, as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's really, you know, along with, with 23rd Psalm, the story of the Good Samaritan, probably one of those, two of those passages out of Scripture that not only do we teach our children early in church and we carry through and, and remember them, but the world around us uh, also quotes those and uses those in a whole variety of ways. You know, you look at the Good Samaritan and the good deeds that it, rec- that, it, that it encourages the world to do. And we have Good Samaritan hospitals. We have Good Samaritan ministries. We have Samaritan's Purse. We have all of these things that talk about good things. And yet, sometimes I think we may miss some of what's going on in this passage of Scriptures. It comes out of a question of a religious lawyer about eternal life. Pretty, pretty simple question. What must I do to gain eternal life? As, as we would probably expect Jesus to do, he turns that question and rather than answer it, what does he do? Ask a question. You're the, you're the, the, the lawyer of the church. What does the law of the church say? And he responded, Love God, love your neighbor. Of course, he quoted um, out of what is known to, um, to the Jewish people as the Shema. It's one of those passages of Scripture that very early in their life they were taught and they recite, you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Remember, this is a, a lawyer of the church, lawyer of the Jewish, lawyer of the synagogue that comes and says, principle of all the law comes down to these statements. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says, good answer. Good answer. Now go and do it. But his answer, and then the lawyer's answer, response to that is a little bit of an interesting response. 
It almost appears that he says, man, I've got this love God down. I understand that I need to love it with my mind and my heart and my strength and my soul. Everything that is about me today, tomorrow, and forever, I need to love God. And I'm doing pretty good about that. Apparently, because he doesn't ask, how am I supposed to love God? It's interesting that his question is, who is my neighbor? Not what to do with that neighbor, but who is my neighbor? Maybe it was a time where he personally was beginning to struggle with the Jewish, Jewish concept of neighbor by that time. You know, we know all the way back from the Exodus that, and, and the promises to Abraham is that we will create a, a nation that will be blessed so that you can be a blessing to other nations. And yet the, com, the concept of neighbor by the time this had come along became a very narrow picture to the nation of Israel. You see, to the Jew by this time, their neighbor concept was another Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're not my neighbor. I don't need to worry about you. But also, <laughs> it, it specifically excluded Samaritans and Gentiles. And the interesting thing about it is, even for some of the Pharisees who had lifted themselves above, the ordinary Jew was also not considered to be their neighbor. God's people called to be separated, and yet, even amongst their own own faith structure, they began to exclude and began to ignore. Leading this lawyer, I think, but who is my neighbor? Seems to me that this becomes the foundation of the question that he was concerned with. Now, this is where I also become a little bit challenged with this passage. Because we know, we refer to, in most of our Bibles, even it talks about the story of the Good Samaritan. But what about the rest? Certainly the Good Samaritan is the hero in the story. But what about the rest? Seems to be a story with huge meaning. It's a story of what a neighbor looks like, or at least that's the, the question that is laid before is, what, is, what does a neighbor look like? Certainly for a listening audience, it had a huge meaning. So going through the passage then, first, there's a man going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And down he did go. It's interesting. That was about a 17-mile trip. Elevation change of about 3,000 feet in 17 miles. Now, 3,000-foot eleva elevation change is actually about from Norman to Pueblo, Colorado. It's a little bit further than 17 miles. That's the difference in elevation that, that this road from J Jerusalem to Jericho would have taken this traveler. 
It was a road that, because of that elevation change, had lots of crooks and turns. It was a road that was down the mountain, so it would have been rough. It would have been treacherous. It was a road that was known to have thieves and robbers that took advantage of those who were vulnerable, and especially those that traveled by themselves. So this was a story that those that heard that day out of the words of Jesus became a very familiar story, at least in its basics. So that person that you considered to be vulnerable, we don't know if he was by himself, but what we do know is that a den of robbers came and took everything he had and left him there on the roadside for dead. Other interesting challenge, I think, in this passage is we don't know what kind of faith background. We don't know what he looked like. We don't know what he smelled like. We don't know any of those things. We don't know if he is a Jew, if he is a Samaritan, or if he is a Gentile. Implications seem to be that he was a Jew. Vulnerable, beaten, left for dead. But then the story gets to be more about you and me. Begins to be about the religious community begins to be though about those outsiders that become the hero. The first of those that comes is, is the priest. Scripture says that a priest came and went around him on the other side of the road. Tells me he saw him. Deliberately went around, deliberately avoided contact with that, with that person who had been taken advantage of. The priest, remember that first contemporary Christian leader that I talked to you about a moment ago? Here's what you see. Certainly there's been a lot of, of speaking about, uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture and things that I have heard from the pulpit and things that I've read in, in, in various places, and then I come to this today. But we talk about the fact that you know, he was justified in walking around him. After all, the priest had to keep himself clean. That individual looked like he was dead, and it was against the law to touch a dead person. Doesn't say where the priest is going to or coming from the temple. Maybe the priest was afraid for his own safety. It happened to him, and it says the priest came, and almost indication that he is by himself. So it's a, it's a journey that in those situations you want to go on past because you don't want to stop and try to help somebody, and then the same thing happened to you. So surely there's a good reason that he walked on by. Reality is he did nothing. For the injured traveler. Then comes the Levite. An order of leadership within the Jewish faith. Respected among their community. The Levite could be associated today with that next level of person of influence that I asked you to consider a while ago. In the modern church, possibly an elder, a deacon, a preacher. Seminary professor. 
a leader within the community of the church. Yes, lay leaders included here. And again, the passage of Scripture says, and he passed by on the other side of the road. Again, he did nothing. You know, both the priest and the Levite are those within the religious community that knows this story of loving God and loving neighbor, this call of what we should do to inherit eternal life, how we are to live out our Christian life. But they failed to do so. Not only did they fail to do so, it seems that they intentionally walked around the issue. Fully exhibiting an attitude of what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it and I'm not going to worry about you. But the storyline changes right here. Remember that low-down scoundrel, that individual that you are challenged with even thinking about their presence? That's this person in the eyes of the Jew. In the eyes of those that were hearing this story that day, the Samaritan was that scoundrel that they didn't want anything to do with. The Samaritans and even their country was so detested by the Jew that that rather than pass through Samaria, the Jewish people that wanted to stay clean would take a journey around the country to get to a destination. And yet Jesus uses a Samaritan to say, you know, here's the reality of how to be a neighbor. Challenge the religious powers of that day. Challenge those that were hearing it that day and quite frankly should challenge us here today. Because you see, he came with an attitude of what's mine is yours. And I'll do everything I can to take care of you. Samaritan not only, the scripture says, he not only stopped to render aid, he put him on his donkey and walked along with the donkey to get him to the nearest place of of rest. He basically reached in his pocket and he handed him two days wages and left a credit card on the counter and said, I'll be back, but know that I'm going to take care of all the expenses between now and then. Take care of my neighbor. See, Jesus turned this passage or this question around from who is my neighbor to what a neighbor does and how a neighbor reacts. Jesus gets through telling that story and he looks at the lawyer again and he says, who is the neighbor? Pretty easy answer. The one that stopped and rendered aid. The one that stopped and did what is right. Then Jesus says, go and do likewise. That's where we begin to get challenged. Go. Go. And do likewise. To those characters that you came up a while ago, 
The call is to go and to do likewise. But before we go today, and this is part of that issue that I've been struggling with all, day, all week. It's a wonderful thing about you coming on Sunday because you get to start now with what I've been dealing with all week. Because we can't stop with the Samaritan and the priest and the Levite and the lawyer. It seems we must insert Roy Joham. Go and do likewise. For any of you here that are a follower of Jesus Christ, the scripture also says, insert your name. Go and do likewise. All started with a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God with everything you are. Love your neighbor as yourself with a big stretch on what your neighbor looks like. Brad encouraged us as he closed his message last week that we need to go and we need to impact this community. We need to spread the, the message of the gospel. We need to be about evangelism and talking to those and bringing them into the faith. I present to you that this story that Jesus says that unless we love our neighbor, we're never going to get the opportunity to present the message of the gospel. We've got to get past what they look like, what they smell like, what they dress like, how they worship, what they worship, all of those things because none of that came into fact whenever Jesus answered that question. When we began talking about renovations to the, to the East Wing, and we've used this, this description a whole lot of times since then, we talked about building for those who are not here yet. A lot of those are our neighbors that we're not making contact with. A lot of those neighbors may be even our family. Maybe co-workers, maybe the person next door, maybe somebody you haven't ever met yet. But until we start saying that this is a place that we can invite our neighbors, no matter what they look like, who they are, how they dress, what they do, how they worship, all of those things together, we're not appropriately being neighbor to this community and to this world. You see, I wonder about this passage being named the good story of the Good Samaritan years and years ago. I wonder if it's more about a religious community that is forgotten, fully ignored and denied the call to be neighbor. The call to welcome folks in to worship. The call to for us to take the message to the world around us. What a journey we must take. It, not only in this church, but I think in Christian churches around this country today, we have lost that focus. We have become so inwardly focused and so comfortable in who we are that we forget about the fact that we have been called to touch the world for the sake of Christ. And it has to start with loving our neighbor. Kirk uses a statement for his youth that says we need to love people and we need to love people and we need to love people until they finally come up and ask, why are you loving me so much? And that opens the door to share the story of Christ.
I can tell you today that God's doing some great things in our midst. And a part of what needs to occur in the midst of is to love our neighbors and to include them in what's going on in this place. Our society is well beyond the time and the story that says that if we'll build it, they'll come. If we build it, we've got to bring them. If we build it, we have to bring them. If we build it, we have to love our neighbors as ourselves and bring them in to be a part of what's going on to this place. Yes, it means our families. That we have a tendency to say, no, we don't need to bring them in. It's our co-workers that we say, no, that's not a place to talk about our faith is in our job. It's our neighbors that we don't want to offend what they do. It's that person on the street that's down and out that we don't want to touch. I'm afraid we, like the Jews, contemporary with Jesus, have narrowed our view of what neighbor is so much that we miss the opportunities that God puts before us. The lawyer said, what must I do to receive eternal life? Responded with, love God and love neighbor. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Wentz told the story of the Samaritan and those that ignored the injured man. Identified what the neighborly act was and Jesus again said, go and do likewise. Seems to me that is our call today. Love God. Love your neighbor. Go and do likewise.